we'd like to remind you that if you are experiencing symptoms of a heart attack, stroke, or any life-threatening medical emergency, please call 911. Please do not delay seeking treatment during the COVID-19 epidemic. Most Providence emergency rooms are open, and CDC-required safety measures are being taken to protect patients and hospital staff. If you are unsure of your symptoms, please use our telehealth services and speak with a healthcare professional that can better assess your symptoms and provide direction on the best course of action. Please do not let the worry of COVID-19 cause delay in seeking out treatment if you are experiencing a heart attack or stroke. Every minute treatment is delayed can be fatal. Thank you. Thank you for tuning into the future of health on Dash Radio during this coronavirus pandemic. We're lucky to have many experts around our COVID-19 topic and many guest hosts. Remember to visit coronavirus.providence.org for more information. Hello and welcome to our broadcast. I'm your host, Brett Barrow, founder and CEO of HerFeed. As a reminder, the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. It is not intended, nor is it implied, to be a substitute for professional medical advice. As always, please consult your healthcare provider to determine the appropriateness of the information for your own situation. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. Participating in this event with this clinician does not create a physician-patient relationship. Joining me today, for this live event will be Dr. Jason Tarpley. Hello. Vascular Hi. and internet vascular and interventional neurologist who serves as the director for Pacific Stroke and Neurovascular Center, Pacific Neuroscience Institute at Little Company of Mary. That is a long title. Thank you, you so great. much for being <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. You know, before we really delve into all of this, can you tell us what your job, what your role is at Little Company of Mary? Sure. So I'm a neurointerventionalist, which um, means that basically I navigate a small catheter. I tell people about the size of like an iPhone charging cable, um, wow. the artery of the wrist or the artery of the leg and up into the arteries of the brain to do interventional procedures. And I think relevant to today's topic, one of the main procedures we do is when someone's having a stroke, an ischemic stroke, which is a blockage of an artery in the brain, um, <clears throat> one of the main things we do, in maybe 20 or 30% of the kinds of cases I do are actually navigating those catheters up into the brain to pull those clots out. So we're interventional stroke doctors, and um, that's what I do professionally. And as you said, I, I direct the the Stroke and Neurovascular Center at Pacific Neuroscience Institute. So how, I guess, you know, we can't really ignore the fact that we're still in the midst of this global pandemic. How has, um, has your job changed a lot throughout this whole COVID-19? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, it's changed a lot, but a lot of it's the same. So, um, you know, it's changed in the sense that we're really careful um, with patients. We um, want to make sure that we, uh, you know, we don the personal protective equipment to protect ourselves, our staff, and our patients from COVID-19. Um, and one of the changes we've seen, unfortunately, is that actually a lot of patients are, even when they have a stroke, um, they're, they're sheltering in place, which, you know, is good. But when you're having a stroke, you really need to go to the hospital. So they're avoiding public places, including hospitals. And so we actually have seen a decrease, maybe 20 or 30% in the number of patients who are actually coming to the hospital. So I think that's one change. Um, we're really trying to get the message out because we take every precaution to make sure that 
um, you know, we protect our patients um, um, from COVID-19 and we do all the CDC recommended guidelines to do that, but we're still seeing a decrease in the patients. The other thing that's different is where is there is an uh, incidence, you know, COVID-19 actually does increase your risk of having an ischemic stroke. And so we're seeing patients who have COVID-19 um, and who have strokes, um, but then certain things are the same. So the treatments for stroke are still the same. So we still are able to deliver these life-saving and brain-saving treatments. So those things are the same. Um, is, I guess actually quickly, just going back to Little Mary, but, um, or Little Company of Mary, how is, how is Little Company, how is Providence Little Company of Mary Torrance, the stroke, stroke center, different than other local stroke centers? Because I think that will help sort of also help shape this conversation a little bit. Sure, yeah. I mean, I think, so stroke centers um, in general are are sort of, a, there's a tiered um, certification process for stroke centers. So Providence Little Company of Mary is the top tier you can possibly get. It's called a, a Joint Commission Certified Comprehensive Stroke Center. So um, you know, there aren't many of those uh, in in the country. Most hospitals are not a joint uh, joint commission certified comprehensive stroke center. Basically means we can take care of any kind of stroke that um, is out there, whether it's a ruptured aneurysm, uh, a hemorrhage in the brain, a large blood vessel blockage that requires me to go up and snare the clot and pull it out. Um, I think the other thing that probably separates us in Los Angeles is that in terms of thrombectomies, we do more of them than any other hospital in all of Los Angeles. So this is something we're really, um, you know, expert at. Um, in general, because I think, you know, people that there are certain symptoms that I think we've all sort of been told to look out for in terms of a stroke. But are there, you know, what are, what are the common symptoms? And then, you know, if someone thought that they were having a stroke, do they go to urgent care? Do they go to the ER? Do they go to, to come to you? Like, what do you do if you're in, especially The short right answer now? is you call 911. So we've worked very closely with um, LA County um, EMS. Um, their director is Dr. Marianne Gauche-Hill, and she set up a very... Um, streamlined process whereby if you're having stroke symptoms, you get brought to the nearest appropriate stroke center. So it's actually very important to call 911. Um, okay. I recommend driving to the hospital. And in fact, when you call 911, you, as soon as you get in that ambulance, that ambulance makes base contact with our hospital and starts telling us your story. And it actually helps us kind of mobilize our team so we can act really quickly. Um, so you're prepared for the patient coming in. We begin the conversation as soon as they pick up the patient. So it's actually a really tight collaboration between our hospital and LA County EMS. That's um, amazing. And really be ready when the patient gets there. So you ask the symptoms. I think the simplest is the acronym FAST, right? If, if everyone can remember the acronym FAST, FAST, which F, yeah, F stands for facial droop. Okay. Stands for arm weakness. S stands for speech difficulty and T is time to call 911, then the vast majority of stroke patients will get to the right place at the right time. So if you think you're having a stroke and you call 911, you're just supposed to say, I believe I'm having a stroke. And then they'll basically, I mean, I'm not, in theory, they'll take it from there and actually help so that you don't, I mean, you, you, 
there should be that reassurance that you're going to be, you know, people will do what they can to help you, even oh, though we're going through all this. Absolutely, it's a very, it's a very refined system. Um, it's been around for a long time, um, you know, and and it's a very practiced pathway. And so it's, it, you know, we know exactly what to do. LA County EMS knows exactly what to do. And I think probably most importantly is a good message to get out today is that, you know, you should be sheltering in place. Um, you know, you should be avoiding public spaces, but if you have a, if you think you're having a stroke, you call 911, they're going to keep you safe. We're going to keep you safe at the hospital and treat your stroke. I feel like that's, that is really important. I, I was reading something a few weeks ago about how, and we've actually had previously a lot of conversations about how people have been scared to go to the ER or call 911. And then there are lost lives lost because of that. What, uh, have there been any recent changes in that you've seen or studies that have come out in terms of the care and treatment to stroke patients? You mean in COVID-19? Yes. Yeah, so I think um, it's an interesting it's an interesting virus that um, it it very much seems to selectively injure the lining of the blood vessels called the endothelium, and that lining the integrity of that lining is actually really important for for prevention of clots to form. Okay. And so, if you can imagine in a coronavirus patient, it's very common that we see. Um, these, uh, you know, it's more common than you would expect that you see the endothelial injury results in little clots that form throughout the body or, or um, you know, microthrombus formation is kind of what we call it. So, for example, in patients, there have been autopsies in patients who who died from coronavirus where they find little clots in the lungs. Oh, wow. And we're seeing things like when you when you have a central venous catheter, you know someone has a or an or an arterial catheter in somebody uh, with coronavirus that those things are clotting off more than we had sort of experienced with other patients. And so, um, you know, now what we've seen, you know, there's been more data on this that we see that actually there's an increased risk of stroke in coronavirus patients. I was just going to ask: Is that also something that? Yeah, so those clots, we, we think what's happening is those clots that are related to endothelial injury um, can form anywhere in the body. They could even form in the brain, but they can also travel to the brain. So we are seeing an increased risk of that, um, you know, and um, and that's something to, it's something that people should be aware of. I think the tip, the, the, the kinds of patients we weren't seeing before are you know, like as a stroke doctor, most of my patients are older patients. Like, yes, young people do have strokes, but what we're seeing now is that in patients who are young, don't have a ton of risk factors, um, but they have coronavirus, then they can also have a stroke. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that's, that that's actually it has to change. That's that was something that that was something that was initially reported in New York, where obviously the incidence and severity is much higher. Um, than it is out here, right? <clears throat> but we're seeing it now too. As the numbers continue to climb, we're we're seeing young patients. Um, there's a there's a protein in the blood that is a sort of a, a surrogate measurement for clotting called the D-dimer. Um, right. Young patients with with really elevated D-dimers and and strokes. Wow, that's I mean that's crazy. I, I, 
I feel like every day I hear something else about COVID-19 that just kind of blows your mind away. Um, yeah. What about, you know, if, if someone is suspected to actually have coronavirus, regardless of their age, what are the precautions? Um, or actually, let's just say that someone is positive for coronavirus. How are they treated in the emergency room if they also are presenting? That's a great question. So the question is, you know, how do we... How do we treat people with coronavirus differently in the emergency room? And it's actually very relevant to the discussion we had about, you know, stroke patients in general. In general, a stroke patient is not going to have coronavirus, right? It's even though coronavirus patients are at increased risk of stroke, most of the stroke patients who come in are not going to have COVID-19. So I think one thing you have to understand is that we, we take every precaution to keep those patients safe and separate. So when someone, there's a whole you know, wing that's dedicated to patients with signs and symptoms of COVID-19. Someone who comes in with a, with stroke-like symptoms doesn't go there. They go to our dedicated, we call it the neuroresuscitation room, <clears throat> which is um, and where they get a quick exam and then they get whisked off to a therapy um, like the one I provide. Um, and then of course we find out, we get a stat COVID test on those patients um, and we clean the room as if they're COVID positive. So we treat everybody as oh. if positive until we find that they're not COVID positive. Oh, wow. Um, so I think I would feel very safe. You know, I think that's one thing. I would feel very safe going to the emergency room. Um, and I think it, it's very clear that if you're having a stroke or stroke-like symptoms, you call 911 and they'll get you to the right place and it will be safe. How does the risk of acute ischemic stroke compared with patients that have coronavirus versus dealing with patients with influenza? Yeah, okay, so that's a good question. That's There's a paper that specifically addresses that. So, you know, um, so, you know, this thing I told you about where the virus seems to injure endothelium, the lining of the blood. Yeah. Well, it's not really a new thing. A lot of viral illnesses seem to cause inflammation of the endothelium. And I think early in the course of, like, for example, we would see that in flu patients and in influenza patients, we see an increased risk of stroke. Um, and, and it's actually why when you have, you know, we, we actually promote influenza vaccines as one of the, uh, one of the things you can, uh, one of the advantages is you can actually decrease your stroke risk. <clears throat> but so when people started seeing coronavirus associated strokes, I think a logical question was, well, like, is this any different than you know, your typical flu virus in that it increases the risk of stroke. And there was a paper in JAMA um, that showed that it's definitely different. So they looked over about two months um, and they saw a very small rate. And, and so two months of patients, one of, one of the groups of patients had influenza and they just looked at their risk of stroke over the course of two months. I think it was March to April. And they saw that it was 0.2% of those patients had strokes. Um, however, if you look at over the same time, the coronavirus patients, it's 1.6%. So it's actually a much higher risk of stroke. Wow. And you know, 1.6% would seem like a relatively low risk of stroke, but we're talking about only over two months. So, you know, wow. this is that I think um, very clearly, um, uh, increases your risk of stroke more than other respiratory illnesses or viral illnesses like influenza. Well, and then you also said that it's also 
impacting younger people too. They so it seems like there's just a bigger now. There's more people are at risk to have a stroke than probably before. I would assume. Yeah, for sure. And the and the age is something that's freaking us all out a bit, right? So you're seeing young patients Can who ask, are, you know. Really quick, what was the at before? Well, before you go into that, what was like the normal, the average age of someone that would have a stroke before? Just to kind of give people an idea of, because I feel like you're going to say there's a big difference here. Well, I don't know if the average age has changed much because still most strokes are not COVID-19 strokes, okay? okay. Um, um, you can drink your coffee, by the way. As coffee is- <laughs> It's okay. That's fine. <laughs> Um, you know, if I had one, I'd be drinking it. I get, I totally just forgot that we were even doing this live. Yeah, that's all right. No, I think that the, I, I don't know the exact age of the, the median age of stroke, but obviously stroke is more common in patients, you know, 65, 75, 85, 95, you know, in, in those age groups. So there are a few oddball causes that can cause stroke in the young. Um, and certainly COVID is on the forefront of that now. What is the relationship between AFib and stroke as it relates to COVID? Okay, this is a really good question. So I guess a listener asked, yeah, yeah. So atrial fibrillation is, um, it's apropos to your question. So in patients over 65, atrial fibrillation is a very common cause of stroke. It's a heart rhythm where clots form in the heart and then they can travel up and block arteries of the brain. So in terms of the procedures I perform where I navigate catheters up and pull those clots out, very commonly it's because the patient had underlying AFib. But the question is, how does the, what's the relationship between AFib and stroke and as it relates to COVID-19? So the way I see COVID-19, it actually increases your stroke risk, um, you know, in, in, a, in a way that's, if you have a fib, it probably makes you more likely to have a stroke. So it's not that the COVID is causing the stroke. And in, in, even in the literature, we're seeing that, yes, we are seeing strokes in young patients with COVID, but my sense is that it actually just is one more factor that increases your likelihood of stroke. So it, as you can think about it physiologically, if you're an atrial fibrillation patient and you have endothelial injury, related to COVID-19, you know, you have a baseline stroke risk related to atrial fibrillation, and that probably goes up um, when you have COVID-19. We a also good have another question. Yeah, that was a great question. We also have another question. Um, are you, uh, is protocol, do you guys place COVID patients on blood thinners to prevent a stroke? Oh yeah, that is a great question. I know I say that about them all, but um, uh, so if you if you think about it, as we just discussed, patients who have COVID nineteen, especially the sick ones in the hospital, certainly not the ones that are relatively mild illness at home, but the sick ones in the hospital are at increased risk of microthrombosis and forming clots in the arteries. And those clots can go to the lungs and cause hypoxia, or those clots can go to the brain and cause stroke. So what if we put patients on blood thinners even before that happened? Um, there's no data on this and there's no consensus on it yet. I will tell you that we are doing it empirically in our hospital. So what that means is if a patient comes in and their D-dimer, remember I told you that D-dimer is a surrogate for clotting in the blood, 
If your D-dimer is really elevated, we will actually put you on a, a heparin drip, which is a blood thinner, um, in hopes that we are preventing strokes, um, strokes and other, and other thrombosis, other clotting. Um, there's no evidence yet that this works, but there are actually randomized trials. So if you look at like the American Hematology Society, they recommend that you know, that we think about enrolling these patients in clinical trials that are actually testing that exact question. Wow. Um, if you, it, kind of going back to, I guess, all of, uh, aside from COVID, what are, you know, is there, are there things that we can do maybe in a younger demographic or whatever, just to basically prevent strokes? You know, is there things like, what can we do or what can younger people do, you know, COVID aside, um, to prevent getting a stroke at some point? Yeah, I think, um, you know, basically it's stuff that you already know, but sometimes it's good to hear it from a stroke doctor. Um, you know, it's the things that are good for your body are going to be good for your brain. So we know that um, exercise, daily exercise, clearly reduces your risk of both ischemic and hemorrhagic strokes. So the blood blockage, you know, Ischemic stroke is a blocked pipe and, and hemorrhagic stroke is a burst pipe in the brain. Um, we know that, uh, that, that exercise decreases your risk of that. We, there's some debate about how much exercise, but you know, basically I think the more you can do, uh, the more you can comply with the better. Uh, we also know that the that diet makes a big difference, and in particular, I would I encourage people to to use and to read about the Mediterranean diet. Um, it's a great way to have a heart healthy, brain healthy diet and not sacrifice taste. If you're a foodie, right? I'm someone mm -hmm. who, you know, lives to eat rather than uh, <laughs> live. Eats to live, yeah. So, yeah. So the Mediterranean diet um, actually. Um, you know, represents probably about a 20% risk reduction for stroke. Um, so that's actually pretty impressive. And then, you know, I, I would also, I think the other thing that's really worth mentioning now is that, um, you know, you were talking about young people, but also older people, if you have stroke risk factors, including high blood pressure, diabetes, atrial fibrillation, you really need to see your primary care physician to focus on primary prevention, meaning preventing a stroke before you ever have one. And I worry that with kind of, you know, social isolation now that, that people are not getting that particular care that they need. I feel like that's probably really true since a lot of people are less inclined to leave their house and then not going. Actually, right. I feel like, you know, yeah. Um, so our, um, what would you say that, you know, if there's like one thing that you feel like is really important that you've learned from all of this during this COVID time and the type of patients you've, you've been seeing, is there anything that you've learned from all of this or one thing you really think that everybody should hear? I think we've touched Besides on the it. fact that you just said the thing about actually going and seeing your primary care. Yeah, I mean, I think in particular, you have to understand that when you're having a stroke, that comprehensive stroke hospitals um, have very powerful treatments that, you know, having a stroke is devastating. You can end up without an ability to speak, without an ability to move your arm, without an ability to walk. Yeah. 
cancer are actually very, very treatable diseases. So if, if, if someone, but the key is that the patient has to get to the hospital fast. And so, you know, that's the main message I would have is that if you're having signs or symptoms of a stroke, you know, you got to get to the hospital because we have very powerful treatments that can save you and bring you back to normal, you know, at least save a significant disability in many, many patients. We have basically revolutionary treatments. The one I told you about the thrombectomy procedure where we navigate a catheter up and pull clots out of the brain, that's one of the most effective therapies in medicine. So if there's any chance you're having it, it's just so important to get to the hospital. Wow, that's amazing. Um, we're actually almost out of time. Is there anything else that you, or wait, oh, we got one more. Are strokes genetic? Uh, that's interesting. I think, um, stroke is really common. Okay. And you also have to know that, that, that ischemic stroke is the main, com the main, uh, the most common kind of stroke is a blood vessel blockage. Um, and it's so common that, um, you know, I have all these patients who tell me, oh, you know, I have a family member <clears throat> who had a stroke. Well, most of us have a family member who had a stroke. Right. And so our stroke, like, like many, many diseases is a mix. It's, it has genetic influence for sure. Um, but it also has many, um, risk factors that are modifiable. So those are the ones that I mentioned before, um, that, you know, you can't change who your parents are. You can't change your genes, but you can change the way you eat, the way you exercise, going to the physician and getting your, you know, care for diabetes, hypertension, atrial fibrillation. Um, so, so it's a good question. And basically stroke is a, there are genetic components, but there's also things that you can do that aren't, that aren't predetermined by your genes. And they're probably, if you, if, if they are predetermined, there are things that you can still lower your risk that even if you've had a parent that have had it, had a stroke before that may, you know, prevent you from, like you said before, the, eating healthy and things like that, that may help you so that you don't have, also have a stroke, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and then, um, yeah, okay, sorry. So we're basically like almost out of time. Is there anything else that you wanna add about all of this? Or I think that's it, it was a pleasure. I appreciate you um, uh, giving me the opportunity to tell people about stroke. I could talk about it all day. So thank you very much. It's so fascinating. And I didn't realize how many different types of strokes there are and everything like, I mean, it, obviously it's very, the body's very complex, but this has been very educational. So thank you very much. Um, so, and thank you to all of our viewers and for all the questions and everyone for joining us today and to everyone um, as always, uh, for sending in your questions. If you are looking for medical advice, please visit providence.org and make sure to follow us on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you, everyone, and have a good day. Bye.